I've sometimes said when it comes to this point in our worship service that we have come here to do business with God and with his word. And to that end, um, we are going to read from the book of Ruth. And good, we have the, the scripture up there. Um, I always say to the congregations where I have served that uh, you can have an overhead and you can read the scripture. And actually, for the past few weeks in worshiping with you and not doing the pulpit ministry here, I've enjoyed just reading um, what's um, uh, on, the, on the overhead, but I always encourage um, congregations to take their Bibles with them. I, I've noticed, and I'll just, you're going to find, by the way, as a pastor, I speak very directly. Uh, I trust always lovingly, but always directly. And I have found in conservative, uh, conservative circles sometimes, people don't bring their Bibles with them, and it, 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 kind, of, it kind of shocks me. Um, a lot of other Christians bring their Bibles. So if you're not accustomed to that, start doing that. Take your Bible with you, and, and don't think, well, we can just read, see it on the overhead, we're good to go, you know, um, because I may be taking to other scriptures, um, not so much this morning, but, but in the future, I'm like, you know, you might want to turn there and take a look at that, and, uh, you know, we got to be Berean Christians, right? We test all things on the basis of the Word of God. So something to think about, okay? Now, we're going to read from Ruth chapter 1. I thought, okay, here's the inaugural sermon um, what should I speak on? And I thought to myself, what better thing to speak on than discipleship? What it, what it means to be fundamentally a follower of Christ, what it means to be, as we'll see, no doubt in the future, in a future series on discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus is to see Jesus as our mentor and to view ourselves as apprentices of Christ, where we learn from him uh, by means of his word and also by means of his example. Well, um, I thought to myself, what passage would be good on discipleship? And of course, there are many. But why not focus on an example of discipleship? And why even look at the New Testament? How about the Old Testament and the example of Ruth? So we're going to consider her um, this morning. So I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 1. And I'm going to read through most of the first chapter, but not all of it. So let's pay attention. This is the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, if you're new here and you're new to the Bible, you're going to be wondering at this point, what, what is that all about? I'll explain later. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Limelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left with her two sons and or without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then 
She kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. What an example. Ruth, unchurched Ruth, Moabitess Ruth. Ruth, who did not grow up with a proper concept of who God was. Ruth, who didn't know, like the Ninevites of the Old Testament, she didn't know her left hand from her right hand, from what was truth and who was the true God and what it meant to have an intimate relationship with this God. And yet what we find is that Ruth is 100% in. She is in with her mother-in-law to go back to the land of Israel and to live under the true God. Yes, your God's going to be my God. Your peeps are going to be my peeps, you know. Your land is going to be my land. Your burial plots are going to be my burial plots. I'm with you, my mother-in-law. I'm with you. And when you look throughout history, there have been people dotted here and there who have left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. You know, that's, um, that's what this first chapter is all about what it's all about. You know, um, brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus calls us all to be willing to leave everything behind in order to follow him. It sounds rather simple. It is. It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You don't have to have a PhD to figure that out, that when Christ calls, he calls us to, as a theologian a number of years ago named Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, to to die to ourselves in order that we might find grace in Christ. How does Jesus put it? Many of us have heard these words. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never heard these words that I'm about to speak. Who would ever come after me, says Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
Actually, he's more forceful elsewhere. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me, not worthy of me. Whoever is not willing to take up his cross, the cross of self-sacrifice, even suffering, for my sake, is not worthy of me. So let me begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. What are you willing to give up right now in your life? What are you willing to put to death in order to follow Christ? And more than that, not only are you, what are you willing to give up, what are you willing to take on in order to to follow Christ. It's a valid question for us this morning, isn't it, as we started a new church? Here it is. Now, when you take a look at the book of Ruth, you see that there are just a number of beautiful themes in this book. Now, you take a look. Kids, take a look up here, okay? You see this? Now, you see this. This is the Bible, obviously. How many books there are in the Bible? 66. 66. That's a lot of books. It's kind of a thick book. Look at this, Ruth. In my Bible, it's only two flimsy pages. But the significance of this book far, out, or, uh, far outweighs its size. Okay? And what a significant book it is. When you read the book of Ruth, when you follow the whole story, and we're not going to follow the whole story for the sake of time this morning, you see a number of important themes. One of them is what we call the providence of God. Now, the word providence is a theological term, but it's a very important term. And you may be here this morning and say, I've never even heard that term before. Here's what, when you think of providence, keep it simple. Think of this. Think of the hand of God. Think of the hand of God orchestrating all things. My dad was a choral conductor, and I was raised with my kids, my dad doing this. I said, Dad, why don't you ever use a baton? He says, because the hands are more expressive. And I thought later on in life as I became a pastor, I thought, oh, when I, would, when, I, when I see my dad's hands like this, and they would just flow at the end of a piece, it would go like this with a quiet retard, right? And we'd have this, we'd do concerts of many, many hundreds of people, you know? And I thought, this is like the hand of God. He's just orchestrating all things in our lives. Nothing comes by chance, but all things come from our Father's hand. So that's one theme in the book of Ruth. Another theme is God's love for the unchurched, which Ruth is an example of that. And then we also see the beautiful progression of the line of Jesus moving all the way from Genesis through Ruth on the way into the New Testament. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you know what? God's gr grace is so great upon Ruth that actually when we look at the first book of the New Testament, indeed the first chapter of the New Testament, Ruth finds herself in the family tree of Jesus Christ of all things. Talk about grace. So these important themes. Another important theme that we look at this morning is discipleship, giving all for the sake of the Lord. So we move on to that first chapter. I want to touch on just some highlights. First thing we read in this first chapter is this, the first verse of chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, when it says, when the judges ruled, again, if you're new to the Bible, you kind of go, well, what is that all about? Well, judges were temporary rulers who took care of the people of God and tried to show them the way, especially when they turned their backs on God. And whenever the people turned their backs on God and they cried out to God because their enemies came upon them, God would give them a judge to steer them on the way. Even the judges had problems, however, okay? Now, the book of Judges is a, a time of national decline among the people of God. Things are not good. Things are spiritually dark for the people of God. 
So when you, when you look at the book of Ruth, and then if you have your Bible, you go look at the book before it, that's the book of Judges. It's a 450-year period where God's people turn their backs on God, and the major theme of the book of Judges is this. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Now, that's not a good thing. So when we read what happens in this uh, passage during the time of Ruth, this happened during a time of national decline. Think spiritual darkness. That sets the tone, actually, for the book. And it was during this time of spiritual darkness that sometimes what God would do in the history of his people to get their attention is that he would give them a famine. Kids, you, ever, you know what a famine is? A famine is a time where, where people go hungry because they don't have enough food. And sometimes God would withhold food and water from his people to say, listen, look to me. You look to me and I will give you these things. All right, so there's a famine in the land. Now we come to the major characters of the story and there's four major characters to begin with. There's a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and two sons, Malon and Kilion. Elimelech, Eli, my God in the Hebrew, and Melech, meaning king, his name means, and kids, you even have names that sometimes mean things. You know what your, your name means? Okay. Well, Elimelech means my God is king, and whether God was his king, we don't know. Remember, it's the time of the judges. Maybe he was walking with God, maybe he wasn't. Naomi is his wife. Her name means pleasant. Whether she was pleasant, well, it doesn't always appear that way in the story. And then they have their two sons, Malon and Kilian. So, in order to go from famine land, they want to go to another land where they can find food. And that's a neighboring country called Moab. So what do they do? As we move on in the story, Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilian go from their land across a border to a land called Moab. This is a dark, spiritually dark land as well. And it's there they go to that land in order to find food. And I never thought about this. When I've, when I've preached on the book of Ruth before, and I've done this on a number of occasions, when they crossed over to Moab, do you notice how easy it was to go in another land? They just crossed the border. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no border guard going, uh, purpose of your trip, you know. Famine, we're hungry, all right? Well, do you have the proper, you got your passports, you know, you got a negative COVID test, you've been double vaccinated, you know, all that. none of that. They're just like, and they go in. And you know how long they go for? They go for the, the, the text. Did you remember what it said when, when we were looking up there, or if you have your Bible? They were there for 10 years. 10 years. Joy and I only got a worker's permit for one year. <laughs> and you know Why? Because they said, if you mess up in that church and they want to get rid of you, it's an easy exit. No, they did it. But anyway, so here they are. They go to this land, and they're, they're in this, this land of, uh, of plenty, apparently, so that they can find food. And it's while they are there that these two, that the Elimelech dies. And the passage doesn't say how he died. It's just that he died. And then we have the two sons, Malon and Kilion, and what they do is they marry two women now we're moving on to Ruth. Marry two women, Orpah and Ruth. And when they did that, remember this is the time of the judges. These were kind of what we could call churched women who ended up marrying unchurched women. Shouldn't have done that, but they did. But what we find in the story of Ruth is that God actually ends up blessing Ruth. In other words, many times in our lives when we make poor decisions... Isn't it true God can turn those poor decisions around and start pouring grace into our life? That's a beautiful thing. He did that with Ruth. Well, while they're in Moab, what happens, not only does Elimelech die, but Malon and Kilion, the two sons, die. And so who do we have left? 
Well, who we have left is we have three women. No, all the men are out of the picture. So we have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Now, to make a longer story short, what happens is the famine ends after 10 years, and it's Naomi who realizes that, and who wouldn't want to go back to their homeland? Let's go, let's get over this border, and let's get back to Israel. And so she and her two daughters move on to the border, and then what happens is a real kind of a, a crisis point in the story. The two daughters-in-law want to go with Naomi. And Naomi's like, no, 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 no. My daughters-in-law, you stay back here. You just stay back. Now, again, it's the time of the judges. You think about it, what a faithless statement. She's got two daughters-in-law who grow up with, with pagan gods, serving other gods. And she should say, oh, my daughters-in-law, it was within the overall plan of God for us to meet. Come with me and come to my country and come meet the true God. And she doesn't. She says, no, 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 you stay back in your land. You know these, this land. You know the people. Go back to your people and go back to your uh, gods. It's like, it's like someone who comes from the outside and comes to this church who grows up with a different religion who don't know the true God, and we just say, you know what? I think you'll be happier just staying on the outside. And then we come to a point of tussle in this passage because we have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law and her two daughters-in-law like, no, 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 we want to go with you. And she says, no, 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 you stay back. No, 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 we want to go with you. And we see this tussle going on. And finally what happens is that Naomi says, you know what? Or um, uh, Orpah says, you know what? I will stay behind. But what does Ruth do? Kids, remember what Ruth does? Goes like this. She clings. He clung to Naomi. Clung means like, grab on. I'm not going to let you go. And then we come to some of the most important words of all the book of Ruth. Verse 16 and 17 and 18. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people are going to be my people. And your God's going to be my God. And so on. She's connecting with Naomi and her land and her God. How old do you think Ruth was? Mm, 18, 19, 20, probably not. Probably not uh, the rest of the book of Ruth really gives an indication that she was a, a younger woman. Who knows? You got to wonder, you ever do this when you read the Bible and you kind of stop and you start playing around with ideas? Like you have to wonder, did Ruth really understand what she was getting into when she made that commitment? It's like two young couples when they get married, Right? How many of us didn't get married when we were like late teens, early 20s or something? <laughs> I look back like, what did we know? What do we know, right? So, but to get married anyway, and this is Ruth. She probably didn't know the whole ramification of everything that she was doing and committing to this God, but she did it. She did it. She was all in. Hey, what did she leave behind? Her land, her culture, her traditions, her language, her gods, her history, that ain't nothing. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. She did it. There was a woman in Phoenix, her name is Manel, who came to our church about three years ago, fled Egypt with her husband and two sons to Hong Kong, and then from Hong Kong, 
she and her two sons came to Phoenix. Her husband was left behind with some issues with immigration. And we've been praying for him to come to our church, to, to be with his family again. He's still there, but we think he may be coming in the next month or two. We should, we should remember to pray for them. And um, she converted to Christianity, she and her husband, by reading the Bible in Egypt. And this was during the time of the Arab uprising. And that was a nasty time to be a Christian. And we remember reading those stories about Coptic Christians and the bombings of churches and so on. Anyway, make this long story short, um, relatives who found out that they became Christians and other people in, uh, in Egypt who realized that threatened the family. So, you know, and they didn't say, we, we will kill you immediately, but they said, we'll give you time. And they threatened them. And she would tell stories about how when, when she was walking with her two sons, her younger sons, and the motorcycle would come up and a guy would take a club and beat the kid in the back of the head as he's driving past his motorcycle. And the kid's crying on the ground. He's got blood gushing from his head. You know, there's a price to pay. And then, and then there was a time where they, they clung firm like Ruth, Naomi. They clung firm to Christ. And they, uh, on one night, they kidnapped her. And they kidnapped her two sons, put them in a van, and took them to the outskirts of Cairo and beat them bloody and did things that, well, I can't share from this pulpit right now. And when she was left all alone outside of Cairo after they were done with her, she was bloody and beaten, and she would go in and out of consciousness. And when she came to at one moment, she said, this is what I saw. She says, I saw Jesus. I saw a vision of Jesus, and it was like this. And he too was bloody as if to say, like he does in the Gospel of John, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Some people pay an awful price. You know, we pray for Angelina, you know. She lost another person who was near to her. That goes on in Sudan. Thankfully, we don't have that in our nation, but we, we have people pay the price. We have to remember there are many who have, like Ruth, left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. Now, isn't there an obvious teaching moment for us here? We may not have experienced the sacrifices of a Ruth or the woman, Manel, that I just mentioned. But here's the thing. Should we not be willing? Should we not be willing? Is not sacrifice, is not death to self, and our natural inclination to what is easy and familiar to us, is this not something that we should be willing to die to in order to follow Christ? And, and, and you know, we may, we may not be Manales, or we may not be Ruths, and we may not have to have paid with our own blood, um, you know, because we have followed Jesus but, but haven't, haven't we, even in this church family here, sacrificed to a certain degree in our call to heed Jesus' call to, to come follow him? I never knew John and Renee DeLue very well. Remember, we do these Zoom sessions, and we talk with them, and, and, uh, and where are they now? They're in Africa. That's not easy. It's not just a husband and wife. Husband and wife and kids. Why? Why'd they go to Africa? Because like Ruth, they said, we're going to follow Jesus where he leads. And I guarantee, they, they, they say they're going to be gone a year. They may well decide to stay after that. Don't know. And, and uh, they are, they're going to come back. They're going to come back different people. 
okay? And they're going to come back stronger. I always say the strongest and usually the most committed people in the church are those who have gone through suffering at some point in their lives, okay? You have made a sacrifice. You have left that which is familiar to you in order to come to this church and make a sacrifice for Christ. That's no small thing. It's a beautiful thing, but that's no small thing because we're starting from the ground up. Kind of exciting. It's going to be a lot of work. It requires everybody to be in. And then you got joy in me, you know? We left our country. Um, we left what was familiar to us. I left the federation to which I belong as a pastor for 25 years. Um, had to go through all the rigmarole of getting through here with immigration. That was a hassle, but by God's grace, we're, we're here. All our children, except for our son Johnny here and his beautiful wife Lee and our grandchild, they happen to be here this morning, but the rest of our kids are all just scattered around U.S., even, even one of them daughter-in-law or a daughter and a son-in-law in Seoul, South Korea. So we have left that behind. And now we have to learn new traditions, you know, new things. And we look forward to that with you. We want to sacrifice with you willingly to make this thing work. And may God continue to gather among us. Okay. As we start drawing to a close, I want to say this. I want you to notice in this story very quickly, notice what Ruth gives up. When you come to a place like this, and also when you follow Jesus, you give something up. But you also take something on. You take on a new commitment. When Ruth took on the commitment of going to the true God and going to the true land of Israel, this was not a kind of commitment where you kind of go, like, like, like it's a switching of a gym membership. Oh, I've been at Anytime Fitness for a while. I think I'm going to go switch my membership to Planet Fitness. Big deal. She is leaving everything behind that is familiar to you and that was once comforting to her, all in order to follow the Lord. And, and, and she, she, what she does is she, she, this is a beautiful thing. She commits her heart to, to the land of Israel and to the God of Israel. And, and, and notice her language. She says this, remember, your God's going to be my God and your people are going to be my people and so on. I want you to think about this. Listen very carefully. This is what we call covenantal language. The word covenant is something we should be familiar with. Kids, a covenant is very simply this. And if you're new here, you're going, what does it mean? What is a covenant? Well, first of all, God requires that we all live, whether you're children or whether you're new to the faith or even outside of the faith and considering the claims of Christ, God calls us to live in covenant with him. A covenant is just think marriage. It's a formal bond of friendship and love between God and believers in Jesus Christ and their children. And when you look at the Bible, both Old and New Testament, there's one phrase that's used over and over again where God says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Very simple. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And then you look at, at, at the response of Ruth to Naomi and that's got covenant all over it. She says, yes, Naomi, your God's going to be my God and your people are going to be my people. In other words, she's forming a marriage between herself and the true God, with all the challenges of that, but all the blessings of that. And I want to end with this, the rewards of this. You know, when you hear Jesus call us, he says, whoever come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And all we think about is like, oh man, that's a lot of self-sacrifice. That's death to self. That can entail suffering. And we looked at that this morning. But don't forget the rewards. Don't forget the rewards. When you look at the book of Ruth, God blesses her for her commitment. 
God provides food for her. He protects her. He gives her a husband who will not beat her, but love her as a man of God. And in the end, she finds herself in the family tree of Jesus Christ. I mean, sometimes when God rewards, we can go, that's wonderful. But many times he rewards beyond our most wonderful, highest expectations. God's a generous God. And he loves to bless those who, like Ruth, covenantally connect with him. So I'll leave you with this. Friends, let us, and I know it's a very simple point, but let us not be afraid to heed the call of Christ to come follow me. Are you five years old here this morning? Are you five? Seven years old? Ten years old? Jesus says, you come follow me. You don't wait till you're 18. Don't wait till you're a big person. Remember Samuel? Samuel, Samuel. God called the little boy Samuel. And he said, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. He didn't wait for Samuel to become 20 or 25 years old. He said, you come follow me now. Are you 15 or 20 or 25 years old? Most formative time of your life. Hmm? You kind of going like this from the Lord a little bit? Lord says, you need to come, come back. Come. Come. And I tell you what, listen, if you're between, let's say, 15 and 25 years old, these are the most formative times of your lives. And the habits that you set now are going to carry with you the rest of your life, either for good or ill. Make that commitment to Christ now. Form that habit now. Another thing, are you here this morning and you have sinned your way out of the church? Are you here this morning having burnt bridges with people in the church or done things that you know have grieved Christ and all that and you think that you just stink to high heaven before the face of God? Jesus says, come. You may have dug yourself a grave. He says, come. And I'll wash you and I will give you a new beginning. And if there are any here this morning who are like Ruth, who are living in the land of Moab and worshiping a foreign god, but you hear the call of Jesus, come, then come. And not only will you find sacrifice, but you will find a reward that surpasses your greatest imagination. And then let us join hands together as Pathway Christian Church and walk together here in this newly minted church, but also let us join hands as we move together on the way to the promised land, looking forward to that time when we come to the end and we see the flowing river and we decide to cross that river together and rest beneath the shade of the trees. What a glorious day that will be. Let us join hands together and commit ourselves to the Lord and as a church that together we may experience those blessings. Okay? Oh, so much more could be said enough. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Ruth. We thank you for her example. Most of all, we thank you for being the kind of God who is a God of grace and mercy and provision, a God of new beginnings. You gave Ruth a new beginning. Lord, you have given us a new beginning here in this church. God bless us on the way. Help us to join hands as together we follow the call of Jesus Christ. Come, come, follow me. We pray this all in Jesus, our precious Savior's name. Amen.